Tough to believe that we've come to the last week of another year, isn't it? 2022 is almost done, and we're about ready to head into 2023. But, you know, I think we say that every year, don't we? Like it's a surprise that time is going by as quickly as it is. But this transition time usually gives us a good opportunity to look back and remember, as well as look forward to what may be ahead of us. Well, this week on Discover the Word, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look back to help us look forward. Now, in 2022, we had a great year of studying the Bible together. Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry, along with some great guests, explored a variety of topics and passages that informed the way we read the scriptures, challenged us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always pointed us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And actually, we have a pretty long history of doing that. In fact, before this current group you study with, there was a previous group that studied together for 23 years. And so our looking back this year is going to look way back to when Haddon Robinson and Alice Matthews were at the table with Marty Hahn, when they were the Discover the Word group from 1991 through 2014. Some longtime listeners may remember those days. Haddon and Alice brought a depth of Bible study and heart for God and people that built a firm foundation that we're still building on today. And so what we're going to do in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast is dig back into the archives and find some conversations they had during this transition time of the year. seems like they would always say the same thing that I just said. Can't believe that it's 1993 or 2001 or 2009. And then they would find some biblical wisdom that helped them as they looked back and as they looked forward. So we're going to play for you several of those conversations and find some amazingly relevant and timeless wisdom that can help us as we make the transition from 2022 to 2023. So uh, the first one is from a little over 10 years ago from New Year's Day 2012. And they were talking about resolutions, you know, those things that we make and then break pretty much every year. And then hadn't shared a formula for change, real change and lasting change, not the short-term change of our normal New Year's resolution. It's the first of these classic Discover the Word conversations with Haddon Robinson, Alice Matthews, and Marty Hahn, looking back at some of their reflections for the new year. The beginning of the year, people make resolutions. Have you ever done that? <laughs> Have I ever given that up, you say? <laughs> I, I don't do it very much anymore. No, because my track record isn't that good. I usually lasts up until, at best, the middle of February, and then it's gone, unfortunately. Have you ever, at any time of the year, any time of year, made a resolution that you followed through on? Yes. Yeah. Can but, you give me an but, example? But, but habits are hard to break. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I think that in the process of making a resolution, I remember something superficial, like I got to start getting exercise. Mm -hmm. For me, it's the hardest thing in the world to get exercise if I haven't been doing it. Once I start doing it over a period of time, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden there's a certain momentum and then almost like you want to do it. That's right. But it's like even then, any kind of addiction, any kind of a habit that you break, you're going to have fallbacks. Mm -hmm. You're going to slip back. You're gonna, right. There's going to be periods of time. And that's what you have to overcome, I think, whether we're talking about physically or spiritually or in any other sense. Exactly. <laughs> it seems almost hopeless. I think it is possible with the help of God to make basic resolutions that are according to his plan for us and keep them. And often the reason we keep them is that there's some exterior circumstance that God sends into our lives that causes us to stop and to change. I have a formula, it works for me, and I think it's realistic. The change comes when we have pain and over a period of time, the pain continues. And then we have insight of some sort. And pain plus time plus insight produces change. Often for me, the insight comes from the scriptures. But the pain <laughs> comes from life and, and what God has uh, permitted us to do. I think you see that 
pattern in the Bible again and again. In the uh, story of Ruth back in the Old Testament, there are two women who are um, heroines in the story, I guess. Uh, one is a woman by the name of Naomi, and the other is the character, the book is named after Ruth. Tell me a bit about Naomi, Alice. Uh, she was married to a man named Elimelech, and they had two sons. They lived in Bethlehem, uh, and then a famine came into the land, and so they moved to a neighboring country called Moab. And uh, there, uh, the two sons married, married women who were Moabites. Then the husband, Elimelech, died, and then eventually the two sons died. And so Naomi, at the beginning of the book of Ruth, is a widow who has been deprived not only of her husband, but also of her two sons. And in that particular culture, that meant that she was deprived of all forms of livelihood, anything that could keep body and soul together. It was together. pretty grim existence. Very grim. And she decides to go back to Bethlehem because she hears things are better than when she left 10 years before. How does she look at herself when she comes back to Bethlehem? She looks at herself as being a bitter, defeated woman mm -hmm. whom God has in some sense abandoned and left her to herself. That's right. She that's says the, that the hand of the Almighty has been against me. Yeah, and that's really terrible. She didn't become an atheist. She just thought that God was punishing her, and that's the way God is, and uh, he's tough on us, and, and he is particularly tough on her. The end of the uh, story, all of that bitterness has disappeared. Why? <laughs> because in going back to Bethlehem, she was enabled to have a whole new beginning in her life because her daughter-in-law, Ruth, insisted on staying with her, and God, through a series of circumstances, brought Ruth together with a wealthy landowner in the city, a man named Boaz, and their child became the child that Naomi would rear as her own. And so she was no longer empty. She now had a son who would be able to provide for her in her old age. And what is interesting is, in the course of things, life happened. And it isn't as though she heard a voice from heaven telling her things are going to be different. God worked on her behalf, and as a result, a bitter woman has become sweet. A woman who was desperate is now a woman who has hope and faith. God does that. So, Haddon, how you say life became sweet, how did it happen? What sweetened life for her? How First of all, she came and she says she's empty. I went out full, I came back empty. The end of the book, Ruth has uh, married a man by the name of Boaz, a wealthy man. And Boaz has reached out not only to Ruth, but to Naomi. So her financial situation has changed. She comes back and she is, declares, you know, I can't have children now. My bearing age is over. and uh, So I don't have any hope for having children. Comes to the end of the book and she has a child, a grandchild, I guess, uh, with, uh, under Ruth. But she is caring for that child with all of the uh, emotion that a mother would have for a child. And so that child is to her what a child would have been in her younger years. And she apparently interprets God then as having been a part of this, right? She had been disillusioned. She had felt that God had abandoned her. Well, what it is saying in the fourth chapter is that God has been very kind to her. The people of the community have said that. And, and I think she would have said that. In fact, I think she has forgotten her bitterness at the first part of the book to accept what God has done. But isn't it interesting, Haddon, how God worked through all of those really bad circumstances, losing her husband, losing both of her sons, being in a foreign land, coming back empty, all of the things that were points of desperation in her life, and how it was through all of those that God brought her into this fullness with this son whom she could rear as her own son, with a daughter-in-law and uh, married to a wealthy landowner. All of that could not have happened had those other intervening bad situations taken place. So I think it's what you're saying. Pain 
she experienced enormous pain, and she experienced it over time. But out of what happened came an insight that led to change. It could make a difference. Yeah. Could I just ask, let me, the other side, though, just for a moment. It sounds to me like Naomi is worshiping the God of circumstance. Mm. When things go bad, she feels like God has abandoned her. When things go good, all of a sudden, now it's God is back again. Doesn't the scriptures call us to something other than the God of circumstance? I think so, but I also think that when people are going through tough times, there's a tendency to think that God's against her. And it's easy for people to think that. Just recently, I had a conversation with a young man who is, uh, endures pain, constant pain. And in the course of the conversation, I said to him, why don't you commit suicide, given all that he was saying? And he said, I thought about it. And he said, it isn't that I fear God, is I'm concerned about my children. Mm. I don't want to leave them that way because I know what that can do to children. Now, he's a godly guy. It isn't that he has forgotten God, but circumstances have come in his life that have caused him to raise great questions. But they are also circumstances that have caused him not to take that ultimate step of suicide. Uh, God works in the circumstances. I am convinced that he works through circumstances and that what he does for us is not necessarily miraculous, something startling. We are called to a God who is working in the circumstances. But I think uh, Naomi thought her condition was hopeless, but she found that God was there and that she could, at the end of the book, give praise to God for what he had done. At least I think that's true to the way people experience life. It's time plus pain plus some insight, and she gets the insight at the end of the book that helps us with the change. Anyhow, if you're there today, don't give up hope because God can work in your circumstance to make a difference in your life and give you fulfillment that you never thought would happen. There is the first of our classic conversations with Haddon Robinson, Alice Matthews, and Mark Dehan. Great to hear their voices again, wasn't it? Now we're going back into the Discover the Word archives for some reflections on the new year that we had when Haddon and Alice and Mart were the Discover the Word group. This was from New Year's Day 2012 when Haddon shared with us that formula for real and lasting change. Time plus pain plus insight equals change. It's a fitting equation as we look ahead to 2023 as well. And so did you ever listen to Discover the Word when this group was at the table? Haddon was an amazing preacher. He was listed as one of the top preachers in the English-speaking world at one point, and he taught at several seminaries, influencing a whole generation of communicators. Haddon developed Parkinson's disease and had to retire from Discover the Word in early 2014, and then he passed away in 2017. Boy, we miss him, but we are so thankful for the gift of being able to study with him over the years. Alice is a former missions worker in Europe and worked in a number of Christian ministries then back here in the U.S. She also taught and led at several seminaries, wrote a number of books, and I think she's still working on at least one book project. Studying with Alice was such a gift as well. And then Mart was president at Our Daily Bread Ministries over most of the time that they were together, and he's still a valued part of the group today. And so we thought it would be good to introduce you to or to remind you of the legacy of this small group Bible study. They were the Discover the Word group from 1991 through early 2014. And so next, let's listen to Haddon and Alice and Mart and uh, this conversation from New Year's Eve 2009 in which they introduced us to the land of beginning again. Well, here it is, New Year's Eve. How does New Year's Eve strike you emotionally? I have mixed emotions. Definitely. Mine too. Tell me about it. Mixed. I look back over the year gone by, and uh, I regret a lot of things that I did or failed to do. I'm excited about some of the good things that have happened. And I'd like for the new year to be better than what I've done with the year that's ending tonight. 
How about you, Mark? I'm, I'm with you, Alice, in so many ways. And uh, to add to that, there's this sense of anticipation, but also of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And uncertainty not only about what will happen in our world, in our lives, but again, on the basis of what I've done in the past, and as you've indicated, all that has been left undone, and failure to live up to my own hopes and dreams. I have really no expectation that that'll change. You know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I wanted to. Yes, yes. I just think of that all the New Year's Eve I've known, I look back, and it wasn't that good, you know, <laughs> things I did. Always look forward to some New Year of yeah. anticipation and good things. and <laughs> It's always the same, which tells me something about the human condition. Yeah. Uh, and I think looking back, it's never as bad as I thought it was. But looking forward, it's never as good as I hoped it would be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is an interesting day. It's a New Year's Eve, and uh, it's a poem. It was written by Louise Fletcher Tarkington. It's called The Land of Beginning Again. <laughs> I think the reason uh, you know, I get drawn to it is it says what I sometimes feel, and uh, maybe uh, it would be true for you, too. L let me read it. The poem, uh, The Land of Beginning Again. And uh, Louise Tarkington says, I wish that there were some wonderful place in the land of beginning again. For all the mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door, never put on again. I wish we could come on it all unaware, like the hunter who finds a lost trail. And I wish that the one whom our blindness had done the greatest injustice of all could be there at the gates, like an old friend that waits for the comrade he's gladdest to hail. We'd find all the things we intended to do, but forgot and remembered too late. Little praises unspoken, little promises broken, and all of the thousand and one little duties neglected that might have perfected the day for one less fortunate. It wouldn't be possible not to be kind in the land of beginning again. And the ones we misjudged and the ones whom we grudged their moment of victory here would find in the grasp of our loving handclass more than penitent lips could explain. So I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's the poem. Don't we wish That's all those heart, little man. praises unspoken, those little promises broken. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot there. Is it possible? Is this a dream, uh, the not land the reality? Of beginning again? I think God offers us an opportunity virtually every day, but certainly at the beginning of the new year, to reflect and uh, to make some changes. Do you think we can have a beginning, a new beginning? Some folks come to this day and really look back and they've messed it up. They've done things that have consequences and they look at themselves and think the day in the past is, is too dark to do anything for the future. Do you think there's any hope for people like that? But that's not the message of the scriptures. And I take great courage and hope out of the different people in the scriptures for whom God did really give a new beginning, a chance to start over. And you're talking about in this life. You're not, in talking, this you're life, not talking about yeah. a heaven's gate. Kind no, of. I'm thinking, for example, in John 8, the woman who had been taken in adultery, she was humiliated. She fully expected to be stoned to death. And yet Jesus at the end says, where are your accusers? And they had gone, go and sin no more. This was a new beginning. Have you ever wondered if she took advantage of that? <laughs> that is, was the next day and the day after that better than her past? Well, we don't know. 
I, this is one of the things people's stories don't end <laughs> when the narrative ends, and I have no idea. It's hard to believe that she wasn't touched in some way, though, by that. That's right. I think life changed for her. Mm-hmm. I think that that was such a traumatic experience to be surrounded by accusers, dragged before the Lord, and yet he forgives her and lets her go and tells her not do this sin anymore. I just know the human condition, and I know that sometimes God gives us those opportunities, and we take them, but they're never as pure and easy as we think, no, because no. we're not perfect. We're, we're not the people who, when Christ brings us to himself, makes us perfect people. Don't you think part of the problem, Haddon, is that uh, very often we cannot forgive ourselves even for things for which God has forgiven us? I've thought so many times over the years of something Vernon Grounds used to talk about, the fact that we are the carpenters of our own crosses. And sometimes we create difficult situations for ourselves we don't need to create. That God himself doesn't want us to. And God doesn't want us to. And there are times when God has forgiven us, but if we haven't forgiven ourselves, we may drag that burden through the rest of our lives. And it's interesting that Satan, the enemy is called the accuser of the saints, that God forgives us. But he comes to us and says, oh, yeah, but look what you did. You can't get over that. You're just guilty, guilty, guilty. And that's not the voice of Christ. You would think the Holy God would say that to us, but he said, no, you're forgiven. The slate is clean. It's the enemy Mm -hmm. who tells us that and drags us back into a life in which we cannot really believe that God has forgiven us. And that's the good news of the gospel. You know, you are forgiven. If you can believe what God has done, it makes an enormous difference in your life. It did for that woman in uh, John 8. It did uh, for other characters in the Bible that uh, you can start over again. And there are some wonderful word pictures in Scripture that remind us that as far as the East is from the West, so far God has removed our transgressions from us. You can't measure the distance between far East and West. You can North and South, but not East and West. In another part of Scripture, we read that God has buried our sins in the deepest part of the sea. Do we believe it? (laughs) That's that's deeper than that. There's nothing we know that's deeper. Uh, I think uh, of someone like uh, Chuck Colson. There was a time in which he was caught up in politics and by his own admission, lived a calloused, indifferent life. And then life came crashing in on him. And uh, he uh, went to the home of his friend, uh, Tom Phillips, who was head of Raytheon. Tom is a wonderful believer, gave him a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and Chuck read it and uh, became a Christian. And uh, he went to jail, but as a result of that, he started Prison Fellowship, a ministry to men and women in prison. He perfectly suited for doing it. (laughs) His past, his punishment had suited him for this uh, whole new ministry. And it was a new beginning. And a new beginning, yeah. And so if, if that's where you are this uh, New Year's Eve, I want you to know that uh, when you turn and give yourself to Christ, when you turn and admit to him what he knows you to be and you know yourself to be, and simply cast yourself upon him for forgiveness, you can have a new beginning. You can enter the land of beginning again. I hope you'll do that and have a wonderful, wonderful new year. Yeah, the land of beginning again. And a Discover the Word conversation from New Year's Eve 2009 with Haddon Robinson, Alice Matthews, and Marty Hahn. That was a really memorable one for me, and I hope that one sticks with you as well, the land of beginning again. Now, this episode of the Discover the Word podcast is dedicated to going back into the archives to listen to conversations from the past that speak timeless messages of wisdom into this time of year when we're looking back and we're looking forward as well. We're calling this week Reflections for the New Year. 
And did you know that our website has an archive section that contains thousands of these classic conversations? Simply go to discovertheword.org and click on the archive tab up there at the top of the webpage. You'll be directed to a vast catalog of our studies that the group has done together. And you can use the search feature to find episodes when Haddon Robinson, Alice Matthews, and Marty Hahn were studying together. Just type in Haddon or Alice, uh, hit search, and you'll have a lot of choices. All right, well, that last one we listened to was from New Year's Eve 2009. Next, we're going to click ahead one day and listen to what Haddon and Alice and Mark talked about on New Year's Day 2010, during a time when, economically, things were much the same as they are today, a little shaky and a lot uncertain. And Haddon took us to an often-missed message in the tiny New Testament book of Third John, for an important perspective on prosperity. Well, Happy New Year. And a Happy New Year to you too, Haddon. And to both of you. Thank you, Mark. Have you ever wondered about why we use January 1st as the beginning of a new year? Yeah, rather than January the 2nd or the 7th. (laughs) Is that what you're asking, That's right, yeah. I think uh, if we were a committee... Uh, assigned to you know choosing the day in which we're going to celebrate the new year. I don't think we would come up with January first. I, I think my tendency would be to start with the first day of spring. You know, I mean that's sort of when things are beginning uh, after the dead of winter. Yeah, which is closer to what the Jewish people do, right? Yes, at least in their religious calendar. That's right. Their that's secular true. calendar starts in October. Yeah. But I was interested recently (laughs) and discovered that in England, even up until, I think, 1759, the 25th of March was uh, the first day of the year they celebrated that. It was just back in the 18th century that England moved to January one as the beginning of the new year. And working at schools, <laughs> I think, obviously, September 1st. <laughs> that's when the school year goes. And that's when the church year goes. If you have a church, it starts basically September. Well, it depends on the church. Um, a, a lot of churches begin right after Thanksgiving. That is when the church year begins um, with Advent leading up to the birth of Christ. Is there any benefit of uh, celebrating New Year's Day? I mean, we have it. And, you know, last night people dressed up in crazy hats and blew little horns. Did you participate in that, else? I'm afraid at my age I go to bed <laughs> no later than 10. <laughs> Did you either of you... Uh, Years ago, participate in a watch night service? Yeah, years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. There was a, this anticipation where you, you come together as a as a church family, a congregation, and you, in anticipation of the, the new year, you, you think, you reflect on the past year, and then anticipate your focus for the new year. That's right. How together you'll look to the Lord for his provision and protection. That's right. It was a long event. It usually started like at 8 o'clock at night and went until midnight. And part of it was party, but part of it was the serious reflection you were talking about, Mart. <laughs> I got introduced to it in my teens. And I liked it because for the first part, you had a party, a cake right. and coffee and milk and all that. And then the last hour, you'd have somebody talk a bit, and then we'd pray. And the idea was to be on your knees as the New Year came in. I always pitied the person who had to speak. Oh, I mean, at quarter of 12 at night? Yeah. Everybody else kind of well, or even at 1130. Uh, that's a, that's a oh, tough because time. it was the end of the evening. Yeah. <laughs> the cake was served and the people had visited. And, and now it's time to, you know, not just pray, but you got to say something. Let me suggest a verse that if either of you are called on to speak at a watch night service, you might be interested in. It comes from 3 John. Most people have never visited 3 John. You know, the Gospel of John and 1 John, but 2 and 3 John just don't quite make it. But in 3 John, verse 2, John says to his readers, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things, and be in health just as your soul prospers. Okay, now what makes that a good watch night message? 
Well, text. it cuts across the grain. Christmas cards always throw in something about the new year, and you have, you know, Merry Christmas and Prosperous New Year. And when they talk about a prosperous new year, you think they're talking about what John was talking about when he says, uh, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. It sounds like he's hitting all the bases. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is hitting the, but I think he's hitting a base in that verse that isn't being hit in our Christmas card wishes and the things that we say to one another, Happy New Year, because I think that very often when we talk about a prosperous New Year, we're thinking a year in which economically things will go well, things will go well in the family, that uh, we'll have success in whatever we're undertaking. I think it's that kind of thing. I don't think that we normally tie it to the prosperity of our soul and in some way make it even conditional on the prosperity of our soul. I think that's one way that you could read John, uh, Sir John. And why do you say conditional? Well, the standard is you prosper just as your soul prospers. <laughs> so first, he says, you know, you have to have a prosperous inner life. And then I hope that your outer circumstances match what's going on in your inner life. And I think a lot of people think if I could change my outer circumstances, it would help my inner life. And John's got it upside down. But, but in that case, I've always taken that as a compliment. He's writing to his friend and in effect saying, just as I recognize your heart and what's happening and the health of your soul, I wish God would bless you materially as well. Isn't that what he's saying? Yes, in the context, yeah. he is commending these people, assuming that he has heard about them and that they are walking with God and they have a vibrant inner life and that uh, he wants them to prosper outwardly as they are prospering inwardly. <laughs> I just think you got to be careful what group you speak that to. I think if you were talking about a prosperous inner life as the standard by which you could gauge everything else in your life, for some people that would be a threat. Okay, so you look at me and, and you realize how far this kid has slipped backwards, right? And then <laughs> and you I say to me, me. <laughs> and, and you say to me, I, I wish, Mart, that you would prosper physically as you are spiritually. And it, it, you're saying you're not going to prosper very much, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just think you have to be careful who you say that to, because I think there are people who have a, a lean soul and a fat purse. And uh, I think that the biblical writers would say that's poverty. Our tendency is to think a fat purse is what we are after. Tough year economically, but maybe it'll be better next year. And to say, well, I hope your bank account is as prosperous as your soul. But if your soul is not prospering, it's going to be a tough year economically. Isn't there danger, though, either, either way? It's almost as if you're implying that if you do well spiritually, that you you should do well mm -hmm. materially. And, and that's not always the case. No, that's true. I mean, no, and if you, <laughs> if you had to choose, depending on where you are in life, if you said, all right, fat purse, fat soul, which would you rather have next year? And you weren't trying to be pious and impress the preacher. What do you think most people would say? Well, I need the fat purse. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got kids in college. I've got car payments. Yeah, give me that. I promise I'll work on my soul. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Yeah, yeah. I think there's great wisdom in saying there's only one life that's soon be passed. Okay, only what's done for Christ will last. And you don't just say that as religious stuff. But I would wish for my friends that their physical prosperity would be as vibrant as their inner prosperity. I think if I were talking to our listeners today, I'd wish that for them. I hope you prosper financially. I hope you prosper in terms of their living conditions. But I hope that prosperity is simply a reflection of your inner prosperity. I know how vital it is to be right with God before you're right with the person who holds your mortgage. So, I want to wish our listeners that they may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. 
right, a twist on that prosperous New Year idea in that classic Discover the Word conversation from New Year's Day 2010. Well, in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, we're going back into the archives and pulling out some conversations from when Haddon Robinson, Alice Matthews, and Marty Hahn were the Discover the Word group. Uh, They studied around the table with you from 1991 through the early part of 2014. So thankful for that time that we had with them and the foundation that they put in place for our current group of Bill Crowder and Elisa Morgan and Mart and Daniel Ryan Day and Rasul Berry to build on. And so we're taking this last podcast episode of the year to listen to some of the timeless wisdom that Haddon and Alice and Mart shared with us in the shows that aired at the end of one year and the beginning of the next. Well, this next one is one of my favorite end-of-the-year conversations that they had. Uh, In it, Haddon asked Alice and Mart if they could make a wish for the world for the coming year, what would that wish be? Have you ever thought about that? What would your wish be? Well, another classic conversation from the Discover the Word archive, this one from January 1, 2007. Well, blessed New Year. And a blessed New Year to you. And to you, Mart. Thank you, Ed. I think that when you come to a new year, you look back and you look ahead. That's the meaning of the word January, isn't it? Uh, Janus, the Roman god, had two faces, one looking back, one looking forward. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. met a lot of two-faced people, but <laughs> called Joe and Harry. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I'm sure that there are many people looking back who would feel that Happy New Year is kind of a mockery. Mm. Stuff happened. They lost uh, someone close and dear to them. They're suffering health problems they never suffered before. And uh, they enter this new year not with eager anticipation, but with kind of gloom. But you can wish them a blessed new year. Mm. That is, wherever they go, wherever they have to walk, God will walk with them. Mm. Because he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Have you made any resolutions? There's a perpetual resolution, and that is to keep exercising. <laughs> when you're my age, <laughs> you lose muscle very quickly. Yeah. yeah, I think we all like to keep our health and do what we can. How about you, Mark? Oh, I resolved to make some resolutions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it for a while yet. But that's, yeah. Yeah. Think the about trouble is, once you do it, then, then you have to live with I know. Or, or face the failure of not following through. I know. Yeah. Very few people have resolutions that last. Why is that? Why is it that resolutions we make on a New Year's Day somehow don't get past January 31st? Because these resolutions are usually about the tough stuff. That's true. Because if they weren't tough, we'd already been doing yeah. it, right? So. <laughs> but even some of the frothy ones, I find, don't stick. I yeah. remember when I was young, resolving to keep a diary for a whole year. It lasted six weeks. Yeah. I mean, I just you, you were better didn't than mine. Do it. Yeah. yeah. Life was so ordinary, you know. Uh, got up, went to school. Went to my job, came home, did my homework, ate supper, went to bed. And then it was ditto, 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 ditto. And you know, after a while, <laughs> one day could have spoken for all of them. Let me ask you another question. Beginning of this year, if you could have a wish for the world, something that you would like to see happen, and granting it would be ideal, but if you could make the wish, what might it be? I, I could wish for the world what I wish for my own family, you know. And, and that, for me, is something I have to think about because oftentimes when I, I get to the end of the day, I turn on the news, and, you know, I, I see there's a dark side in me. I'm looking for something interesting. Yeah. And so often the stuff that I lock into is at somebody else's loss. Mm. And so I really mean that. I, where I can relate to a, a wish for the world, I, I look at my own children, my wife, my dearest friends, and say... I want them to be happy. I want them to be at peace. Yeah. And I share that with you, Mart. When Haddon said, a wish for the world, I thought, what I would wish for the world is not going to happen as long as we have to deal with a fallen world and sinful people. Yeah. I said, though, 
if you could do it in an ideal sense. You know, there's a lot of things. Resolutions end in 31 yeah. days. Some of the wishes we would have, you know, aren't going to come about because of the, the falling condition. But if it could be the way we would like it to be, what would it be? <laughs> One thing I would wish for is world peace. All of the wars and the awful misery and destruction that comes from this. Um, yeah, and that nobody's son or husband or best friend dies on a battlefield. Exactly. Not only today, but ever again. Exactly, exactly. And yet I know that as long as sinful human beings populate this planet, there will be war. Mm. I would wish for justice, that justice would prevail, that it would prevail in Washington, that it would prevail in the nations of the earth, that it would prevail in my own community. But again, one of the prophets talked about justice rolling down like a mighty river. That would be wonderful. It's a wish that I would have. Mm -hmm. And been building some huge medical complexes in, in our community. And I could wish for the world that disease would not be an issue for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Not only today, but this year or yeah. ever again. Yeah. I could wish, along with what you have wished, that poverty mm -hmm. would be erased. Mm -hmm. And the kind of grinding poverty where you see children who are skeletons, mm -hmm. just covered with skin. Mm -hmm. The poverty that leads uh, some women into prostitution, try to mm -hmm. put some bread on the table. Yeah, I, I think yeah. of that, and I think there are wishes for justice and for mercy and for lack of poverty. Yeah, yeah. We spend a lot of time often looking for the weekend, you know, waiting for the weekend, yeah. wishing it was Friday or Friday <laughs> afternoon. I wish everyone, you know, you're talking dreaming, right? Yeah, this is sure. dreaming yeah. of what you wish it could be. I wish everybody could have a job, meaningful work. That's right. Not just something to put money ahead on, on the table to eliminate poverty, but something that people felt was meaningful. That's right. And that everybody could enjoy their work. Yeah. And we're yeah. working with one another. Yeah. And not only this week, but forever. Yeah. You know, yeah. Something meaningful to do. Yeah. yeah. You pity the people who don't have a job. And then you pity the people who have work, but it is drudgery and mm -hmm. uh, it just grinds them and takes away mm -hmm. the humanness of them. All kinds of wishes. Yeah. Because of a chance that that will ever happen. <laughs> we know <laughs> that the time will come because God has given us that promise that there will be a time when heaven and earth will pass away. A new heaven, a new earth will replace what we have now, that God will wipe away all tears, that poverty will be dispensed with, that peace will reign, justice will roll down like a mighty river. And I got another wish then. I wish everybody could be included in that day. Exactly. That no one would be left on the outside. That everyone would have the grace of God and the, the good sense to make the decisions now that would place them at the party. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, the image in the Bible, at least that Jesus used most often, was that God's kingdom would be like a banquet. Mm -hmm. Not the kind of banquets we have cold chicken, peas, but a banquet like they had in the ancient world. I mean, abundance of food and people came and it was great joy and laughter. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven like that banquet. All kinds of people are invited. Some people turn it down. They're too busy. I married a wife. I can't come. I bought a field. I have to go measure it. You know, bought oxen. I have to go test them. Cheap excuses. But of the wishes that we have, that is the one that can become a reality. Mm -hmm. I want to do all that I can in the time that God gives me to extend that invitation to all kinds of people, to tell them there's a banquet, great joy, great rejoicing. And all of the wishes that you've ever had for justice, for meaningful work, for relationships that don't get broken, all of those wishes are going to be when they fulfilled. And if you happen to be listening on this New Year's Day, <laughs> at least one thing we can do for you is to invite you to the banquet. 
There's an invitation. And by the way, your name is on it. And all you have to say is yes. If you fill out the RSVP and say, yes, I will accept God's invitation because of what Christ has done. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could join us there? Have a blessed, blessed New Year. You're listening to some classic Discover the Word conversations with Haddon Robinson, Alice Matthews, and Marty Hahn. They studied together on this table for 23 years. And if you were privileged to be part of the group with them in that window between 1991 and 2014, uh, that's bringing back some great memories for you, isn't it? Uh, we learned so much from them. And if this week is introducing you to those past years of discovering the word together, we hope that you're finding the perspective and wisdom helpful. And I'd also like you to hear how Alice originally closed that last conversation that we just finished listening to in prayer. It also was a priceless moment. And so here is that prayer. Lord, as we have expressed these yearnings of our hearts, and we recognize that um, many of them will not come to pass until that day when you renew the earth. We, at the same time, want to pray for every listener who has come with us in this conversation, that there may be that strong sense of, yes, I want to be at that banquet table, that affirmation that, yes, I will trust in what Jesus Christ has done, and that every listener will enter this new year with a firm sense of joy and peace, knowing that one day all that is wrong with our world will be righted. And we thank you that this is possible through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we've got one more of these classic reflections for the new year. And this one goes all the way back to 2001. Have you ever sat down with a grandparent or just some older Christian and asked them to look back over their life and lay out for you some of the most important lessons the Lord has taught them? Well, over the next 10 minutes or so, we get the chance to do that with Haddon and Alice and Mart. On January 1, 2001, they reflected on some of the most important lessons that they'd learned in life. And here is that conversation. If you look back over the years you've uh, lived, uh, what lessons emerge on this uh, first day of a new year that you might say, uh, yeah, I think I see this clearly now? What would it be? I'm not sure I see it clearly, but I'll tell you one that has made a difference in my life. Uh, about 15 years ago, I attended a um, summer session at Columbia University, and I learned the rule of good enough. And for an obsessive-compulsive, this is the most freeing rule you can learn. The rule of what? The rule of good enough. Good enough. Good enough. And the rule of good enough is that not everything has to be done perfectly. It's perfectly fine to leave a lot of things imperfectly done. And that was the most freeing thing that happened to me. And there are certain things that I can focus on today because I am no longer as obsessive about peripheral stuff oh, that's as I used to be. That's okay, good. that's good. That's a help. I think uh, a lot of folks could... Uh, learn the rule of good enough. Of course, the skill is to know what you have to do well and what you <laughs> can do. That's exactly uh, right. Uh, yeah. Mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and what is that? Learn not to take yourself too seriously. Learn Ooh. to laugh at yourself. I, there have been times when my wife has looked at me and my, my dad lighten up. Uh, yeah. Honey, lighten up. <laughs> and there are... It's important, and that's very profound. Oh, it is profound, Mark. <laughs> it really is. I agree. I like that one. Because uh, so often, uh, we don't know whether we're right or wrong in issues. We don't know if our judgment, but we just got to 
It's almost like what you're saying. Do the best you can. That's right. And trust God. <laughs> exactly. And trust other people to help you to, to find your way of uh, Oh, I like hearing him. <laughs> it's sort of like the one that, you know, uh, don't sweat the small stuff. That's rule one, rule two. There's not much big stuff. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> one that I think we would have in our family is... Uh, there are only two kinds of people in the world. That's always dangerous. You, you bet that's dangerous. I'm... But there are the here I am people and the there you are people. And the here I am people are the people who always want things focused on them. Sometimes they can be introverts. So they come into a room and they blend into the wallpaper and they keep saying to themselves, you know, in some form of, here I am, please notice me, please uh, somebody see me. Or they can be extroverts. They can bounce in the room, make a lot of noise, and what they're doing is saying, you know, here I am, look at me. But then there are other people. There are the there you are people. Uh, the there you are people are the mm. folks who walk into a room and say, ah, there you are. Yeah. And they single you out and they speak to you and they are concerned about how you feel. Yeah, what a difference. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, huge. Mm -hmm. My daughter says... If you want to see what God's doing in people's lives, he wants to take people who are here I am people and turn them into there you are people. Great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. That's a good rule. Yeah, it goes with another thought I had, and that's that people are what is important. Yes. You know, relationships yes. are what count. I've learned this the hard way. That was one of mine, too. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like people are important. Yes. Okay. And it's so easy to put other things ahead of people, yeah. isn't it? Oh, yeah. You can put the books ahead of people. Yeah. I can get involved with my, you know, computers are wonderful. <laughs> but I can, uh, to a fault, spend time writing or thinking or studying and, uh, and really walk blindly past the people of my life. Yeah. And I think as you look back in life, I can't imagine... Coming to the end, you're going to say to yourself, boy, I wish I'd spent more time with the computer. <laughs> 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 I think you will look back and say, well, I should have spent more time with my wife exactly. or with my yeah. children exactly. or with the friends I have. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, That's a good lesson. And yeah. it sounds so obvious, but we keep missing it, don't we? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alice, did... Uh... I think one of them is a lesson that I first heard when I was in college, but I have found that in the last few years, it has come home to me in new and deeper ways. Back in college, the way I heard it was, don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. And at that point, it simply meant, don't settle for the short term, mm -hmm. always work with the end in view. Mm -hmm. But in recent years, coming back to Proverbs 31 again and again, I find myself focusing on the fact that uh, charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. But uh, it's the person who fears the Lord that is going to be mm -hmm. praised. And in that, I see that I had better live my life for what lasts mm -hmm. and not for what passes. That's good. And it's always a matter of wisdom, again, to be sure you can separate out the two. That's very true. Go ahead, your turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one that I'm more and more convinced of is that you make decisions, and those decisions turn around and make you. Your decisions uh, have consequences. For example, crucial decision in life is whether or not you will trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Mm -hmm. You're faced with it, uh, you can walk away from it, uh, you can ignore it, but that's a, an eternity-shaping decision. You make that decision, it turns around and makes you, not just your eternal destiny. It changes the way you relate to people, it changes the way you relate to Christ's work in the world, but I just think that decisions are, in that mm. sense, very important. They are the stuff of life, so you make decisions, they turn around and make you. Mm. Okay? Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, Something that is somewhat related to that, uh, I've found that the longer I put off doing a good thing, the harder it is to do it. You mm. know, so it's so easy to say, I'll do that later. And to avoid uh, fulfilling a commitment or doing something that I really should be doing. But the more time that passes, the harder it is to do it. And... Uh, that's been important for me. Give me an example of that. Can you? Uh... There's a uh, you know, letter writing. I get a letter, and I, I should just quickly sit down today and, and respond. I said, I'll do it later. 
And if I don't do it, then I'm almost embarrassed after a while to do it. I don't know. It ends up working against me. Mart, I am right there with you again. I mean, this is one of the things that just drives me crazy. And to make a commitment within myself that I am going to see this person, call this person, write to this person, and then just allow everything under the sun to crowd it out. It just... uh, I don't like that when I see it in myself, but I do it all the time. It goes again with the idea that people are important. And uh, the quicker that we can get to them, that's important. Yeah. Well, you folks see a lot of clear things here. (laughs) (laughs) What else do you have on your list? Well, it sort of ties into what uh, Mart was saying. And it is that some of the smallest acts in life are the most important acts of life. Hmm. We tend to look for the grandstand play, but the best players are people who can just uh, handle the ball when it's hit to them. I find that, um, as you say, a note to somebody, just three or four lines, appreciate what you did. Uh, You're always there for us and, you know, thank you, and mail it. Or a call. Uh, to say to somebody, um, you know, I've been thinking about you. I know you're going through a difficult time, but just thought I'd call to see how you were making it. And to discover that the call meant a great deal to them. It took me uh, three or four minutes, but it was getting it done. And I tend to think of the big things. Those are the things that matter. But um, small acts have great consequences. And small acts of love make a great contribution to people's lives. So, you know, uh, picking up all that we're saying, you know, you ought to get it done or to not put it off. And uh, don't despise small things. They have uh, great consequences. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, well, we're almost uh, <laughs> through our time. Is there one more that's lying out there that we haven't covered? I, I got one. Okay. okay. All right. One more. One <laughs> more to celebrate. God, God is unpredictable. Yes. <laughs> and I need to let him be free to be himself. And to, let God and to, be God. Yeah. And when circumstances uh, come you know, toward us in a way that we can figure out what in the world is happening, just to realize God can handle it. He's in this and trust him. Amen. That's great. Yeah. If I were going to add a last one, it would be this. We have friends who listen to the program, some who write to us, some who talk to us. We need to continually thank God for them. Mm. And (laughs) taking our own advice, at the end of one year, the beginning of the new, just to say, you know, thank you. Mm. Thank you for being there. We don't uh, take you for granted. And may God give to each of you a wonderfully happy new year. And just like they were looking forward to spending the new year studying the Bible with you here on Discover the Word in 2001, uh, we look forward to what's ahead of us in 2023. In this episode of the podcast, we dug back into our archives for a series of timeless reflections for the new year with Haddon Robinson, Alice Matthews, and Marty Hahn. Thanks for being part of these conversations. Uh, They built a foundation on which our current group continues to build today. And so we're looking forward to exploring the scriptures with you, Lord willing, into another year. And, you know, I hadn't talked about saying thanks. And so I think I'd like to take a moment to say thanks to the other members of the Discover the Word team that you don't hear in these conversations, but they are so crucial to making this work. Behind the scenes, they, too, are dedicated to the mission of telling the story of Jesus and making the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible accessible to people all around the world. And so here we go. It's going to surprise you how long this list is. Uh, First, from our audio team here at Our Daily Bread Ministries with editing and production and other support, uh, Dave Gavette, Barry Felton, Diana O'Connor, Ryan Clevenger, Mary Jo Clark, and Jade Gustman. In distribution and tech support, Bobby Palisari, Curtis Storms, John Murphy, Jim Young, and Gabrielle Broward. Nicole Braganzer and her marketing support group of Caleb Morse, Annie Clahassi, Katie McNabb, Hannah Kuhn, Kelly Roblin, Rochelle Traub, Toria Keys, and Londa Aldrink, 
Peggy Willison contributes from our publishing area, Marissa Musselwhite and Abby Bales and the team at RK Media, our transcription and correspondence team with Peggy Carsey's, Candace Krugman, Kathy Morin, uh, Judy Ormsby, Luann Wood, and Mandy Weinsma. And just some of the names of the behind-the-scenes Discover the Word team, we are so thankful for them and their commitment to studying the Bible together like this. Now, two more things real quickly. First, if you've enjoyed these classic conversations in this episode of the podcast, remember that you'll find many more of these classic studies available in our Discover the Word archives at discovertheword.org. Just click on the archive button up at the top of the webpage. That'll open up a page that is a vast catalog of our audio resources. And if you type Haddon or Alice into the search bar, you'll find series they did on the Lord's Prayer and Ruth and Hebrews 11 and so many more. You know, I look at the titles and it makes me want to listen to those programs again. And that's all under the archive tab on our discovertheword.org website. And then as the year comes to an end, you know, it's not too late to make a special year-end gift when you visit our website at discovertheword.org. Just click on the Donate tab up on the top right of the homepage, and we'll walk you through the process of giving right there. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedding at Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.